Welcome, one and all, to the Film Harmonic with your hosts, Noah East and Andy Ferguson. In episode 42, we will review the Universal and Blumhouse co production, The Hunt, which infamously was pulled in September over protests and finally hit theaters this weekend. And in our Pick Six segment, we will be ranking our picks for the six best virus slash plague films in honor of how crazy things have gotten lately. Leading us into the throwback challenge to close out the show, in which we chose another classic film that neither of us had seen before, Jean-Luc Godard's Breathless from 1960, courtesy of the Criterion Channel. So, Andy, are you ready to dig in? Might as well. We're, you know, quarantined anyway, so let's do it. We will begin this week with the film no one wants us to see, apparently. At least that's if the uh, marketing is to be believed. Director Craig Zobel has collected an interesting cast together for this dark action comedy flick on which uh, rich coastal liberal elites go full most dangerous game on unsuspecting conservative yokels. Andy has five good questions for me about The Hunt. Hunt. All right, the hunt. Um, so again, like five good questions tends to go. It kind of answered one already with that intro. Uh, I was wondering, it does this movie lean in a comedic direction? Do you think this movie has one specific genre? Is it it's, is it a action satire? What is going on here? As far as what, how would you categorize this movie? I would say that this is definitely an action movie. Okay, so that's that's the lead genre. It is. There is more action than there is comedy in it. Yeah, but there is an attempt at humor in this movie. Definitely, the satire is very thick. Okay, that's that's another question. That does this movie lean heavily into very political territory as far as like social satire, as I'm kind of hearing here. So Big it's time. it's very much like a um, shot in the middle. Uh, doesn't does it lean one way or the other, uh, left or right? It seems like they're trying to say that. You know, we both uh, both sides have things that you know that that are um, let's say, you know, uh, both sides worry about and complain about the other so much, and that they're not looking at their own issues that they have. Yeah, uh, I would say that it is fair and balanced. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, so you also mentioned the uh, the mixture, the the interesting cast, the ensemble here. Yes, there is. Um, I only know of maybe I don't know a lot about this movie. I haven't. I've stayed away from reading about it a lot. So I know, but I know from images I've seen Hilary Swank and I've seen Betty Gilpin and I've seen Amy Madigan. I think, um, but. Uh, who else rounds out, rounds out this cast? Like uh, Ike Barinholtz comes to mind too. <laughs> Ike Barinholtz is in it. Um, Glenn Howerton from uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is in it. Um, then you get Emma Roberts. Oh yes, yes. Ethan Soupley. <laughs> um, uh, uh, the the guy who plays Kevin on This Is Us, hmm. um, and then Betty Gilpin. Uh, Betty Gilpin is a was an intriguing casting choice for me just because I'm I've, I've been over the last couple of years gotten so into the show glow and she's outstanding in it and i was just hoping she would get more work so when this movie was announced i was looking forward to seeing how she would be used in it um is there a standout in this movie for you yes and that is betty gilpin she uh she well, I, I don't think it's spoiling it to tell you that she's the star of the film okay Okay. Um, so uh, there are several people that are in the film, um, and the film does this interesting way of uh, of kind of a, a, a scripted rope-a-dope where you think so-and-so is going to be the lead, and then um, that's no longer possible. Mm. And then uh, they move on to the next person. You think that's going to be the lead. No. And we end up with Betty Gilpin uh, being the lead, and in, in, in you wouldn't have suspected it for the first half hour of the film. Okay. But, but then we just are following her the rest of the way. And she's 
pretty terrific in this. And that doesn't surprise me, but how, would, how did it? I would imagine it surprised you. Surprised you because you haven't. You don't have a lot of. Is this your I've first? I've never seen her. Yeah, so I this think is, it is kind of like your introduction to her. Um, yeah. Betty Gilpin is kind of uh, 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 almost like a natural talent, I think. Um, so it's yeah. glad to, I'm glad to hear that she's the standout in this film. Well, and it's pretty. It's. It's pretty interesting to see how well she handles all the action stuff. Yeah, that also doesn't surprise me now that I'm thinking about it. Cause she, she, she kicks a she kicks a ton of ass in this movie. <laughs> that sounds fun. Um, yeah, uh, I'm assuming Ethan Supley is just some right wing. You know, uh, I mean, he just looks like one, whether he is or not in real life. He just looks like that guy you'd cast as like, oh yeah, let's kill them liberals. Kind of guy. And plus, him and his thinning hairline, he is perfect in this. <laughs> okay. Yeah, he's really good in it. Okay. Well, um, aside from the cast, how does Zobel handle this material? Um, it, is is the writing too much? Does it get too convoluted? Does it get too in over its head? Does, does it execute the, the mixture of what it's trying to say politically with the action? I would say, in the end, um, the political stuff is a little uneven and uh at times a little like too on the nose but for the most part he does a pretty good job of balancing both of them and um I, this film is exciting hmm. the whole way through it's very exciting it hits the ground running pretty much right away and um once the hunt itself is on it's non-stop and it's 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 a lot of fun. Hmm. It's an exciting film. I'm glad to hear that. And I saw that you know, originally when it was supposed to come out, well, this film is cursed, obviously. So oh, big time. It got screwed in September of last year because of the whole... It, 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 somehow the president got word of this movie coming out and this used it as a political device this one's not okay any other movies fine like this but uh yeah because there was a couple of uh mass shootings around the time of the release this hap this delay happened and now it comes out on this weekend (laughs) where the world is shutting down so no one's gonna see this movie um yeah and i and i think it's kind of a shame i don't love this film by any means but I think it's it's a little better than I expected it to be, actually. And I had a lot of fun with it because of how nonstop exciting it was. Um, I think it, had it come out in September, it would have made a decent amount of money. It would have made a lot more money than what it's going to make the next couple of weeks. Yeah, it made $5 million over the weekend, and that's pretty much it. There's no way it's going to make that much more after everything that's going on now so no, i'll be surprised if this clears 10 million no well the the top movie at the box office this weekend was 10 million it was onward again with 10 million that was the top movie at least it wasn't i still believe Ooh, it was like right behind it unfortunately with 9 million um so do you think this movie deserved a better fate than uh, is it good enough to hopefully someday find more of an audience yes i, I think so okay what do you give it Three and a half. All right, that is three and that half is a little this. surprising. I, you know, we both don't really care for his other film that we've seen, Compliance. It's okay. Yeah. Um, it's just it's that's a very uncomfortable film. Uh, yeah. Uh, this one, it sounds to me like it at least delivers on its entertainment value. It does. Yeah. Awesome. I, I recommend if you're willing to brave the theater like I am, um, I recommend going and seeing it. Okay. Fair enough. All right, well, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, Andy and I, uh, we're going to have a go at ranking the six best virus or plague films of all time. It's the most darkly obvious pick six we've done since we did war movies on Memorial Day, I believe. So uh, stick around, and we'll be back in 60 seconds. America. 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 America, you are so grand and golden, oh I wish I was deep in America tonight.
America. America. I watched David Letterman in Australia. Oh, America. You are so grand and golden. I wish I was on the next flight to America. We're back, ready for round two. Welcome back to the show. We have a grim yet timely topic for our pick six this week. We are ranking the six best virus or plague films with an eye toward everything that's been happening lately. So let's dig right in. Starting with you, Andy, what is number six on your list? Number six on my list, uh, talk about a, uh, a list that is more than timely. It's kind of hard to watch some of these movies right now it's yeah. crazy um number six for me is a film that i think i recently had on another pick six um i think i had it on the time travel pick six and that's uh terry gilliam's 12 monkeys okay um it was too uh solid overall to not include on this list. I think I say that because we specifically did not we we disqualified zombie films because that's its own genre. Yes. I think we agree, right? It most certainly is a separate zo- genre. Yes, because there's too much of it now. Um so 12 monkeys s- snuck right in my list for that reason alone because I think I probably would have had something like 28 weeks later on my list because I've always liked that one. Yeah. Um but um yeah, uh, I won't go too long on it. I mean, it's it's still a lot of fun. Great, great movie star performance from Bruce Willis in his prime. I think this is prime Bruce Willis era. Oh yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of comedic fun from the crazy Brad Pitt performance. Um, even though he might go over the top a little bit, but it's still fun to watch. Yeah, Madeline Stowe was also a great star at this time, and this is just Gilliam toned down a little bit, you know, to the point where he's, he's reined in enough to where he doesn't annoy me with his style as much. I think this world works for him a little better than some of his other films. Um, Yeah. He's definitely less wacky in this. Yeah. He kind of, the, the source material kind of restrains him enough. I think it goes a little darker and more into the, uh, infectious territory and then the plague that's going on in the, throughout the film, that's sown throughout the film that it does, it does, it, 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 it makes his crazy, um, tendencies uh, it, it it calms them down enough so yeah. it's number six on my list uh number six on my list is a director that you very much don't like um mm. and i re-watching this film made me like it a little less than i previously had um but i still found room on my list for um Fernando Morales's blindness. <laughs> I had a feeling it could make your list. Um, you know, I, it was it was almost it almost made my list last week on films that I that I love that you know most people don't. Mm. Except I rewatched it then and I found out I don't love it. I just like it. I haven't seen it since the year it came out. Um, I, I but I did have a feeling it might make your list and. That makes me think that Julianne Moore has a chance to be around in the next few minutes. I think maybe more than once. We'll see, um, because she is. Find, I'm finding that in my research that she was in more than a couple virus-related movies in her career. Yeah, it's, it's kind of strange, right? <laughs> yeah. So what what do you re- what do you like about what are the strong points of this movie? You think for you. I feel like it's it's uh, some of the editing and the directing I'm not wild about, obviously, but it's so dark, mm-hmm. and um, and it gets just the the dirty dinginess 
it, it, it hits me with that. And then the performances. I think Ruffalo and, and Moore are amazing. I mean, really amazing in it. And Gael Garcia Bernal does this. Does He's so eminently hateable in this thing that mm-hmm. uh, the performances keep me hooked and just how crazy this world is and just how, how filthy it is uh, keep me visually uh, attached to it. So ultimately, I, I like it. I respect it as, okay. as much as it's far from perfect. All right. It's a so. solid number six choice then. It sounds like something you don't necessarily love, but... Yeah, but want to talk about. Fits the theme, yeah. Yeah. Um, it, the, the, it, it, it does descend into some really, like, pretty fucked up areas mm-hmm. that I can't... I just... It were too much for me. But... Um, but still, ultimately, it's the performances are good enough that I hang on to it. So. See, I only vaguely remember this movie at this point. I don't even remember some of the places it gets to. So, uh, What's number five on your list? Number five for me was a rewatch of a movie I already liked. Um, and I think, I think it's uh, still really good. And I think, I think that it might be the most watched movie in America this week. And that's Steven Soderbergh's Contagion. Oh yeah, it's it's seeing a major resurgence. <laughs> it sure is <laughs> for a good reason. Um, did you? Uh, I, you hadn't seen it before this week, right? No, I hadn't. Okay, now, man, all I have to say is, and we, it, there's a chance we'll talk about it again. We'll see, but um, uh, man, it has his. There's no other way to call it, man. He's just the he's a cool filmmaker. He knows yes. what he's doing. His pacing is remarkable. The editing is spot on. Uh the the score in this film is pitch perfect. Um it's it's very synthy and proby in the right ways. It complements the, the what's going on. Uh and then, you know, everyone wants to work with him. There's a great cast in this movie. Uh I think it was the first time that Kate Winslet ever worked with Stevens. First, first and only time, right? Yeah, Kate I don't Winslet remember ever doing it again. Them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she's great in this. Um, and then his old standby, Matt Damon, is quite good in it as well. Um, but man, I think that that um, final one minute montage of this movie, the final minute of this movie, is just like a really kind of a, a eye-opening thing to watch right now yes. i think for us in 2020 as, as a culture yeah this whole thing hit hit a little too close to home it was pretty real yeah so number five for me uh number five for me is uh terry gilliam's 12 monkeys oh okay um yeah i've never like loved this movie but as far as Gilliam is concerned it's pretty high up there I think mm-hmm. um, I'm a big fan of the Fisher King I think that's probably my number one but um oh yeah I always forget about that one it's a little different for him but 12 12 monkeys is is pretty interesting if just for the performances alone before you get into how crazy the time travel aspects are and um you know unlike some of these other films that are ultra realistic this one you know was a fun breakup between all of the really depressing stuff that, that yeah. we were watching this week True, in, because in this, preparation. Yeah, because this film never feels real. It, it, it very much feels like a Gilliam fantasy world still, but it's also just a lot of fun. It's yeah. just even though it is kind of dark, what it's, what it's telling is it's still, it's probably the most fun film on this list by a, by a long shot. Yeah. And, and, and Brad Pitt is, uh, well known as possibly my favorite actor, and this mm-hmm. is one of the performances that people always point to. That that you know, this is one of his best performances. I, I I don't think this is one of his best performances. Like you mentioned, he's a little over the top at times. When he's good in it, he is very good. But most half of the time, it's pretty distracting. Well, he was still trying to find it a little bit. You sure. Know, at that point in his career, I mean, what he's still he done? pretty early in his career. Honestly. It was like around the time of seven, I want to say. It, no, it was, was right. It was before that. It might have been right before seven because yeah. it was mid nineties. So I mean, he had probably just done Thelma and Louise and True Romance and uh, California. About that's about it before this. Yeah. So yeah, he was still trying to figure it out, and he he. I mean, we'll say he went for it here. For at least he <laughs> he, he sure went did. For it. 
Uh, okay, so number four. What's number four on your list? Number four for me is a film I've always really liked, and I watched it again, and I still really like it. Uh, it is a film from the late career, uh, a late career entry from William Friedkin, and that is uh, Bug. Oh yeah. Um, whew, this movie. I forgot about certain sequences that are kind of cringe-inducing to watch. Um, this movie is not. It, whether it be about a virus or just paranoia is debatable. <laughs> um, but it is absolutely thrilling to watch. And it does it does unfold like a play, which it's based on a Tracy Let's Play that he writes here. And um, it basically just has three main actors in this movie. And that's Ashley Judd, Michael Shannon, and Harry Connick Jr. And um, they're all kind of great in it. Uh, yeah, this is one of the early, one of the first times I remember seeing Michael Shannon, and I was just blown away. Uh, he he's he's every bit just unpredictable. He's also both scary and also you want to be on his side in this movie at the same time. It's kind of weird the the, the line he walks in this. Movie. Yeah, and that's a tough trick to pull off. It is. And then there's the whole aspect of his relationship that unfolds with Judge characters so quickly in this. And it becomes like this couple that's walking into Doomsday together. And it's like you're watching these two people mentally unfold and just dismantle themselves. And it's uh, it's it <laughs> Friedkin directs it in a way that it's claustrophobic. And it like has this ev- like this sense of dread that just builds throughout the entire film. And I think it's just, really effective still watching it now yeah we're definitely going to talk about it again later okay all right so what's number four for you number four for me it's it's probably a little low but um i have uh ingmar bergman's the uh the seventh seal at number four okay um Um, that's number three for me by the way perfect so let's talk about it this was a pretty um this was a pretty good first time watch for me. Um, I, I, I will say I don't, for the first half hour, I was like, I don't understand why this is so over, like so beloved and, and hyped. Um, but then as it gets going, um, and you really start to get in more and more invested into Max von Sydow's character. Mm-hmm. Um, he really like, he really towers over this thing in a really cool way. He's um, a tremendous actor. His, not just his performance, but his character really, I found so fascinating. And some of the conversations that he has, even with death and just the way that he's, re- his character really is wrestling with everything that's going on. Um, I, I found that more and more engaging as the film went on. And then by the end of it, I was like, Oh, never mind. This is a, this is a classic. Yeah, for sure. I think it's a great film. Um, uh, I think that, uh, it, it might be over praised a little bit. Um, I think so. I think having seen about at this point, about 10 of his films, um, it, it's crazy. Once you start to get familiar with him, as a as a director, you really start to be like, wait, why doesn't anyone talk about this film? Why does anyone these this film here and that film there? There's every bit of, or better than the Seventh Seal and some of the other ones like that people talk about. But um, I still think this is a great great film. Um, yeah, it, the way it directly deals with um, characters questioning religion and God and uh, at, at the time at the, as they're facing literally this in this movie, he literally places his characters in fa- in the face of death. And, um, it's, uh, it, it, there's a lot going on outside of the chess match between those two characters that you find out in this movie. Um, there's, a, there's a lot more characters than you would, be, you know, be led to believe, you know, because when you hear about this movie, you hear you, it's the, you know, the knight plays 
a chess match with death. That's what you think the whole movie is. Yeah, I thought it was going to be like a My Dinner with Andre where it's just the two of them sitting exactly. there. That's really what I sat down expecting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you quickly find out that it's much more than that with a wide variety of different characters with different morals and different views uh, on, on, on God and life and death and sometimes based on because certain people have children and that changes their viewpoints and things like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, this movie, it, 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 there's no reason to argue its existence in, um, you know, the world of cinematic kind of benchmarks. It's, it's there for a reason and, and, uh, it's, it's clearly a great piece of work. All right. Well, that was your number three. Yes. So we're on to my number three now. Mm hmm. Um, well then, this was an interesting one to, to kind of toss into the mix, mm. but I went full tilt here at number three with David Robert Mitchell's It Follows. Whoa, I'm surprised. Yeah. And I'm I su- like this pick, though. I like this pick. I'm surprised it's, a, it's above the seventh seal, but um, uh, this movie is pretty remarkable uh, uh, for how it builds anxiety and suspense and dread and talk about a really original premise as well mm-hmm. um, yeah. to do with, with a virus that uh, manifests itself in this way. Yeah. I hadn't thought about this movie for this list. Um, there's always a couple movies every time we do the, one of these lists where I'm like, Oh man, I didn't think about that one. Yeah. And it appears to me that you might have a very big one, very high up that I completely forgot about considering as well. So, oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Um, but I, I definitely wasn't going to leave this off the list. And, and as I started arranging my list and watching things on my list, this started to creep its way higher and higher up. And it got, a, got a, all the way to the three spot, which is, you know, that's bronze. That's bronze. That's a big deal. <laughs> so um, the performances are, are pretty solid in this film. There's, there's but, some that are better than others for sure. Absolutely. But but I think the real star at play here is is the effects and and Mitchell himself actually is. Well, and I mean disaster oh, pieces well, yeah, score. Yeah, yeah, of course. That, which has that, a chance to get on our scores list. One of our I, scores lists, if not both. I, I, I can't tell you if it does or does not show up on mine. I won't reveal that either. And no one else will know until next week. That's right. That's a little That's a little uh, uh, teaser. That was a hell of a teaser, I thought. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So the, it follows at number three for me. What's number two on your list? All right. So uh, silver for me. Mm-hmm. And I got to say, the two and one are almost neck and neck for me here. Um, so it's almost like 1A and 1B, but if I have to dis- to divide them, I'm going to go at number two, I'm going to choose Alfonso Cuaron's Children of Men. This was the one that I hadn't even thought about. Okay. Well, I honestly hadn't thought about it until earlier today. Um, I was like, wait a minute, this does qualify. You're right. Because You're right, it does. It exists in a world that is thrown into chaos by some unknown am- epidemic that you know prohibit. I mean, has has really ended uh, procreation, and, and so I think that qualifies. Whether we n- know the, what the virus is or not, or the plague, it, it, it's still there and it exists. So um, I haven't watched this movie in I can't at least five or six years, maybe longer. But um, this movie has always had a lasting impact. Oh, yeah. Um, it's, it's a bona fide classic. I think it is one of the classics of this century, for sure. Yeah. When, um, when we're when 50 years from now, when people are looking back on the turn-of-the-century film, this will be one that is remembered, for sure. It's, it's definitely one of my top two or three favorite films he's made. Maybe... I mean, it's, it's close. I'd have to re... I'd have to rewatch everything he's done. It would rank up there for me with everything. I mean, Roma and Itumama Tambian even. I mean, it's it's uh it's that great. Um I think it's I think it's technically his best film, even better than Gravity's technical achievements because well, I think there's some scenes in this that are just uh almost magician like how he pulls them off one take scenes that are just incredibly done yeah well that makes me very curious to find out what your number one is um 
Yeah, it was hard, but you know, you'll find out soon. Well, my number two is um, is Contagion. Hmm. You like this a lot. Yeah, I was pretty. I was pretty blown away by by um, how visceral and real it felt. Um, oh yes. And I think maybe maybe that's a little bit of recency bias, but it's also a little bit of bias on just what we're going through right now. And uh, this felt hyper realistic. Um, then you couple that in with several fantastic performances. Holy cow. I mean, Matt Damon is very good in this, but he gives, he wouldn't even be in my top five best performances in the film. That's how yeah. good Kate Winslet is. That's how good, uh, uh, uh Jude Law is in this. Even Gwyneth yeah. Paltrow is pretty fantastic. Lawrence for, Fishburne's for the, quite good too. Uh, he might be my favorite part of the movie, except, um, I, and I'm forgetting her name, but the woman who plays the, the scientist, the CDC scientist. Who breaks oh, the, the whole scientists, thing open. the scientists with Dimitri Martin. <laughs> yes, the scientists with Dimitri Martin. I always forget her name. I can't. I can't remember it right now. She has this resemblance of a young Meryl Streep. Yeah, it, yeah, kind of. Very does. interesting. Um, She's terrific in it too. I mean, he he pulls a lot of great performances out of, out of the cast in this movie. Um, man, it's just the colors he uses. The, the way he paces, just... the way he paces the thing, and it just it moves so fluidly, and that, like you mentioned, that score is phenomenal. Oh, the score is great. Yeah, um, I, I was I was shocked by how much I liked this movie. I, I, I think s- I probably would have given it four and a half stars. Wow, you do like that? You I borderline love it. Um, John Hawks really, shows up as well. Yeah, he does. I I, it, I really can't find very many flaws in it. Um. Let let us not forget about Marion Cotillard as well. Yes, um, she does need to be mentioned because she's she's not in it very much. She goes away no. for like the whole and middle and there's a little strange the there's a strange detour with her being kidnapped that is a little distracting. But yeah, um, that's the only thing I docked at points for though. Mm-hmm. Nothing against her performance really. Oh, her name is the actress. The scientist is Jennifer Isle. Uh, or L E H L E S A I L, but um, I I've seen her in so many different things, and she's always solid. Um, I just uh, she's she's kind of like one of the uh, secret weapons of this movie. Oh yeah, totally. All right, now tell me what your number one is. I'm dying here. Um, number one was a rewatch for me, and I've always liked it. Um, I've always really liked it, never loved it. Now, it's 25 years old now this year, and I think it holds up better than ever um, and actually gets better, and that's Todd Haynes' Safe from 1995, the film that might have the best Julianne Moore performance. I've always wanted to see this film, and I've I had no idea it was virus or plague related so well, i didn't i didn't even think about it it is another movie like bug that it, it doesn't you know go out and say it but it may in fact just be someone's paranoia that they are infected that is just corroding away at their inner self and 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 basically just destroying their life in the process um so that's what it's kind of about. It's kind of it's set in the '80s, and it's about this this housewife who doesn't really have a lot to do, and she's she her husband is a, a wealthy guy, and she's got a privileged life, and she simply just starts to tinker with diets and different and different things, and then starts to believe that she has some sort of reaction to chemicals that are used in, in in daily life and then believes that she's developing some sort of condition and then something much deeper than a condition uh, as the film goes along and it just depicts her complete kind of breakdown. Wow. And, and, and the way Ton Haynes does this so methodically yet every shot looks like it's so obsessed over the whole thing is filmed masterfully um 
the pacing of it is uh I, it, it, it's it, it might be my favorite Todd Haynes movie. It's uh wow. I mean, he hasn't made you know a ton of films, but when he does, it's always kind of a major thing. Um, when you think about it, and what has he done? And you know, he Carol was quite good, the most recent film he's made, really. Um, and I'm not there, and Far from Heaven, he's worked with Julianne Moore before. Um, but uh, I've I've heard the Mildred Pierce miniseries he made was quite good too. Uh, my um, girlfriend was just watching that. Yeah, uh, my my fiance loves it. Um, I don't know why I've not seen it, but um, I'm a big fan of Todd Haynes's style, uh, and this film holds up in a remarkable way. So it's on Criterion Channel, by the way. If you want I to will, see it. I will check it out then. Damn it! I wish I had known that this was uh, that this was applicable. I. Really, only rewatched it yesterday, so it's really. Uh, next time something like this just pops up, I will make sure you know <laughs> as I'm discovering it too, in case you need to get in on watching some things like I that. I see. Well, I apologize. My dogs were just going ape shit there for a minute. Um, I guess they they were trying to to tell me I was an idiot for not having having thought of this one. Uh, clearly. Um, Parsons loves Todd Haynes. Yeah, or he hates him, either one. Yeah, yeah right. He's like, and he's talking about Todd Haynes. Get that shit out of here. Well, my number one obviously was already discussed, and that is William Friedkin's Bug. Ooh, number one. Number one with a bullet. Man, I, this was such a rewarding rewatch. Um, I'm I'm glad you you like this this much. I, I love how dingy it already starts out. It feels so rustic <laughs> and realistic. Um mm-hmm. And having and knowing already where it's going, you're like, you think this is dirty. Just wait. Oof, um, yeah. And the way this this motel room just starts to just disintegrate, just deteriorate over an hour and a half of film time, um, probably only a couple of days real time. But uh, uh, that's pretty impressive the way he shoots it and really builds that scary, scary uh, 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 anxiety. Oh yeah, but but the the real driving force is are those three unreal performances. I mean, Michael Shannon is unhinged. And oh, he's great. It, it's a pleasure to watch. He's incredible. Um, I I won't say that it's his best performance, but I don't know that he's had a better performance than this. It's it's hard to rank him. You know, it it's, really is, isn't it? Because I think he's one of the top ten actors of the last twenty years. Yeah, he's I, I would put him on a list. I would put him on that list. But I will tell you, Ashley Judd is never going to give in a better performance she's than this. Better than she's ever been. She's incredible in it. And then this this was well after Harry Connick Jr. had his had his you know try at acting like a crazy person with. Remember he was in Copycat. Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, um, you don't see him very often, and, and to think that he could pull this off, uh, you would you. Wouldn't be crazy to th- to be skeptical, um, but man, he's he's very menacing in his scenes, he, and he's very good at some of the improvised dialogue or just the free form setup of some of the scenes. Yeah, he's he's almost, I would say he's almost terrific in this movie. There's a couple of times where there there's one scene in particular. I rewatched it as well, and um, there's one scene in particular where he has this laugh that he does that feels kind of forced, but uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember what I'm talking about, but um, there's this one moment where just like he pauses and it looks like he's thinking about how he should execute the laugh. And it's just like for one moment, he's like out of the character a little bit. But other than that, I think he really holds his own in an otherwise, I mean, it's really hard to, to hang with, you know, who he had to hang with. Um, and also be directed by, you know, I mean, he's in a room with, you know, some pretty significant people in cinema. Yeah. And, um, you know, he, he holds his own really well. Yeah, he really, really does. All right. Well, that uh, that is our lists. That is those are those are our lists. They However sure you want to say it. However you want to say it. Um, we've come to uh, the throwback challenge. And uh, this, 
much like last week, we decided we were going to uh, use the Criterion Collection to dig into a film um, that neither of us had seen, a classic. And this time we chose uh, Jean-Luc Godard's Breathless. Um, this was both of our first time. Yeah, yeah. Not my first Godard, but my first Breathless watch, um, which I got to say I'm a little disappointed in myself with. Um you know what's great? One of the great things about this show is that we finally get to end our droughts of seeing certain films, you know, uh, in the last year plus, we've watched some things that we may have never watched if it wasn't for the mandates of our lists. Yeah, it was um, a pretty rewarding experience. Um, you know, it's it's one of the most French films I've ever seen. It is this is a very <laughs> French movie? It is, and it's uh, it is the 60th anniversary of this movie. Oh wow! Uh, it is a uh, it's, it's got a lot of Jeans in it. Jean Luc Godard directs. Jean Paul Belmondo stars as uh, what is he's Michel in this? Michel. Uh, yeah. He's never seen without a cigarette in his mouth in this movie. Um, Jean-Pierre Melville, uh, another director from that era of French New Wave, is in this film. He uh, was someone who, who who gave Godard a lot of advice on how to DIY certain things. There's some stories about how when they couldn't exactly get tracking shots the way they wanted them, Godard actually got in a wheelchair, and, or he rolled around the cameraman in a wheelchair himself to get certain kind of uh, handheld-ish, like, fast-paced scenes to work. Um, and then you have uh, the uh, the actress of the film who... Yes, Gene uh, Seberg. Gene Seberg, who's also depicted most in a very recent film. Uh, Kristen Stewart plays her in a film. Um, yeah. And you, when you compare the two, the look of, of Seberg in this movie, and then you look at some of the screenshots from uh, that film where Kristen Stewart plays her, and they look yeah, identical. Yeah. yeah, they look identical. Um, it's pretty remarkable. But she's she plays the journalist, uh, the American journalism student in this film that uh, Michelle is kind of overly obsessed with and borderline creepy uh, with her. Um, so yeah, yeah this, this movie is, um, is just basically about one guy who's a little, a little self-indulgent, a little full of himself, exists in his own bubble, and he's on the run because he makes some crazy decisions, and he's a thief, and he's now suddenly a killer as we find him, and he's trying to run away with this, with this girl. Yeah, see, I would say that uh, he's more than just a little full of himself. <laughs> this guy sucks. Like, he's awful. He's a he's French a dick. murderer. He's a murderer. He is, and, and he thinks and, this girl is going to like fawn at his every move, and and she doesn't necessarily, not all the time. No, um, she's just trying to figure out if he's worth it or not, and she finds out much too late that uh, he's definitely not worth it. This guy sucks. Yeah. Um, the performance is really good, and 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 um, I love the way that he is shot. Oh but, yes. Um, but man, what a hateable lead character! Oof. Yeah, and that's that was obviously intentional, and I think it it, it represents he's representing the type of freewheeling personality of a careless young person um, who thinks that they have no consequences and they can just live how they want to live, do things they want to do, and not be reprimanded for horrible things they do to people uh, in well, various ways. Boy, does he find out that he can't just get away without any repercussions. That's for sure, yeah. Um, this movie kind of hurls along at its own reckless pace, and I think that's one of the charms of it. But then it also takes the time near the middle to really slow down, and there's a long scene of them in the bedroom just talking and talking. There is, um, there is. It, there, and, and there's... And it, but it's some of the most poignant parts of the entire film. This film was originally much, much longer, and 
famously, he went to Jean-Pierre Melville for advice. Jean-Pierre Melville is the director of uh, another film we've talked about on this show called um, Bob Le Flambeur. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, that had already that had already come out in the mid 50s and so Melville was already a little you know already in the scene and well known and um, so he was there for advice and I guess the original cut was at least 30 to 45 minutes longer and had a lot of scenes like the bedroom scene you're talking about and Melville was like you've got to cut this down you've got to cut the meat out you've got to get it down lean make it fast paced because people need to be introduced to you in a certain way and what Godard did was not just cut certain scenes but cut moments of scenes so that's why you see a lot of quick cuts that would later be this movie would be seen as like innovative in the editing department because of this yeah Um, and so it's clearly it clearly is very influential in that way you know, I think you see a lot of films in the decades since that take this editing style and try to pace a movie in a way like this movie was paced. Yeah. However, I won't be surprised, this being my first Godard, I won't be surprised if I find um, there are many of his of his other films that I like a lot more. Well, yeah, this is pretty early on. He was 29 when he was filming this, this one. So, I mean, uh, he would go on... I think to really find more of his voice for yeah. sure. Um, he is still working. He's 90. He's going to be 90 this year. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, he's still got some things. I'm looking right now. He's got some things on the docket ready to come out. Um, he just put something out like two years ago, didn't he? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. His most recent work was a 2018 film called The Image Book. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the most famous movie he's recently made is called Goodbye to Language that came out in 2014. Um, but yeah, uh, this, this I see why it is seen as a essential film in the French New Wave era. Um, I don't love it. I never... I, I, I've never... Uh, to this point, I've only seen two of his movies. Um, I admire him. The other one I've seen is uh, Vivre Savi. Um, I like that one a little more. Um, I still need to go on more of a journey with his films that came out much yeah. later on, I think. Yeah, so do I. I want to see Band of Outsiders and other things like that. So what are you giving this? Um, I think that ultimately... I'm going to go with a four on it. I, I do. I can't go any lower than a four. I can't go any higher than that either. But I just, I, I think I admire the, uh, the way it was so clearly a guy with pennies in his pocket trying to make something. And he finds a way to be imaginative enough to actually get this thing made against a lot of odds. So, and I think it has a couple of great movie star performances as well. So, I have to go four on this. That is where I'm on it as well. All right. Well, that's our show for today. Remember to subscribe to the Film Harmonic on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review and a generous rating if you're so inclined. Subscribe also on Spotify, Google Play, and wherever else you happen to get your podcasts. Send us your suggestions for the throwback challenge to thefilmharmonic at gmail.com. We will be back next week with a pair of new films that are available streaming. That way uh, you don't have to go out into the into the real world and risk your risk your health. So we have Netflix's Lost Girls starring Amy Ryan, whom we haven't seen in a while, and Hulu's new one, Big Time Adolescence, starring SNL's Pete Davidson in a lead role. Two very different but equally intriguing films next week. And in our pick six segment, we are going back and catching up with a top ten list we let get away from us. The ten best film scores of the last decade. It is going to be a very fun list for a lot of reasons, I think. Um, We tend to... We've always appreciated a tremendous film score, and so I think we've stockpiled 
a kind of short list of what will be on here. I think you can say that for yourself, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think a lot of them have, you know, some some that we've really fallen in love with, we've listened to a bunch for the last, you know, several years. So some of them might um, might be really high on the list, just dependent on, on how much run we've got out of them and how much they've really meant to us in other areas other than just watching the film. Yeah, because some of these movies are going to be films we don't necessarily even care for that much it's just sometimes a film score is the best part of the film it yeah, just happens it can, that way sometimes and it can take on a life of its own even it can yes yeah. yes and then also in our throwback film we will be uh we'll be doing another one that neither of us have ever seen before another bona fide classic as well um we will be watching kurosawa's yojimbo so you can watch it on Criterion Channel with us. So stop what you're doing and sign up for Criterion Channel right now. And then we can all discuss it together this time next week. Yeah, please just, just sign up for it. The, the channel is it. An, has an endless... It has a bounty of treasures everywhere on it. You can just browse for days and find... You can just build a watch list of essential films that you always should have seen and now it's all available on one channel and now you're quarantined at home and you have nothing better to do and how many episodes of queer eye can you really watch exactly and remember armageddon is on the criterion collection (laughs) i don't know if it's on the criterion channel but it is in their collection i bet it will be someday oh boy well on that note we will see you next time on the film harmonic Substitute.